This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Now, you can receive a free audiobook if you just go to Audible.com, sign up as a member, download an audiobook, you get one for free, and even if you cancel your membership, you can still keep that book. That's at Audible.com. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. Happy Sunday, happy Monday, happy Tuesday, happy Wednesday, happy Thursday, happy Friday, and happy Saturday. Insert whichever date, you know, is relevant there. I'm glad you're here. I really am. Glad you stopped by in the uh, comfy place. So, sit back and relax, and uh, or lay back, or do whatever you want. This episode's going to be nice and cool and calm and just laid back. I received some mail from the last episode from Ned Kelly, part one and two. And I'm absolutely and utterly blown away when I get messages from around the world of people telling me that this helps them to relax and fall asleep. And I think one of the best ones I received was it was... Relaxing in parts and very exciting in other parts, and I'm I'm gonna take that as a, you know, as a good sign. Uh, but I, yeah, I think today this episode is going to be 100% uplifting, and then it's just going to be pure content that's going to allow you to fall asleep or help you on your way to falling asleep. Because you know sometimes. We're in a mood for a story. Sometimes we're, you know, we want to know something factual about the world and stuff like that. And you know what? There are some other times when I need to get up tomorrow morning and I need to sleep right now. So here we go. I have some really cool stuff to talk about uh, today. Uh, firstly, we're going to do some, you know, some, some stuff around the world. It's pretty cool. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to impart some of my very basic wisdom uh, when it comes to cooking in the kitchen. I love cooking. I am not a Michelin star kind of guy. And I also have a bit of a desire to cook everything in one pan. Have you ever done that? You know, when you look at the potential for dishes and stuff like that, and you're like, you know what? If I just get everything in the one pan, move that aside there, fry that there, that type of stuff, then... That's going to really save some time when it comes to doing the dishes later on. I know it's it's the sageness of my perception is quite staggering. Um, sorry to start this thing with like you know, just a mind blowing uh, fact, but that that's that. So let's let's start with some stuff that's pretty cool around the world, and then we'll 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 get to that later. Assuming you're still awake, and if you're asleep, and all I'm doing is filling your you know the room with well, relaxing talk, then that's absolutely and utterly awesome. All right. This one starts, it's pretty cool actually. Uh, We've identified that we need bees in the world. I know this is a random sort of uh, 
change of subject, but we need bees in the world. Uh, we absolutely and utterly do. Without bees, of course, we don't have pollen and so on and so forth. Well, there's a startup that's actually uh, saving um, crops by making super bees. That's right. The Marvel Universe has come to bees uh, as well. Now, as I recall, I think there was like a really terrible horror film in the 80s where bees like just, you know, attacked and took over the world and stuff like that. I assure you uh, that this is not the case now. We will not have terrible, terrible acting. We'll not have terrible, terrible direction and terrible music. Everything will be fine. Um, I haven't actually talked to the company. Just letting you know. That's just me. Assuming that everything will be fine. Anyway, let me tell you about this because it's actually, it's pretty cool. Okay, so the Argentinian, Argentinian, wow, let me back that up and try that again. The Argentina-based startup B-Flow has developed a special nutrient-packed formula for bees to boost their immune systems and make them stronger to work even better in colder temperatures. According to the CEO, Matthias Veal, it enables bees to do seven times more flights in cold temperatures uh, and they originally uh, were able to without the formula. I wonder if they'd sell that for you know for normal people in a in a you know up and go type of thing. The massive uptick amid uh, the dramatic decline in the bee population um, that threatens almost you know twenty billion bees uh, contributed to the U.S. crop production annually. Bees are responsible for pollinating nearly one third of all crops worldwide. But this past winter saw the highest number of bee colonies losses on records as pesticides, parasites, things like that. So bad things are happening. But these guys are doing something good about it. If you have bad weather or cold temperatures during that period and you have a low amount of bee activity hours, your crops won't be that good. We think that with healthier bees and then with a stronger immune system, bees can work better and perform better. Veal told, you know, CNN Business. Beekeepers fed the bees the plant-based formula, which contains sugar, water, and proprietary ingredients for about a week. In February 2009, the company started testing the formula at a major Californian almond farmer. Almond farmers who are planting more almond trees to keep up with the surging demands for the nuts are especially struggling to get enough bees to pollinate their crops. Almond farmers generally rent between 2 to 2.5 beekeepers per acre uh, in the pollination season, but costs have jumped from $50 per beehive to about $230. Okay, so it's good to be, be in the bee business. Almond crops took up about 1.3 million acres of land in California in about 2017, up from 1.2 million in 2016. There's nothing quite like statistics, right, to help you just drift off to sleep. I should do, like, a hyper-max relaxation, you know, podcast episode, and all it is is statistics. And you just can you just keep that one specially saved on your podcast um, player, you know. Just have it saved there, ready. And and I think this will be you know called like just the le- level eleven relaxation, and it's going to be unapologetically boring, and just statistics 
I, I won't even explain them. I'll just rattle them off. So yeah, I'll do that. Can't say how fun it will be to record, but you know what? I think I would even listen to that on those days where I need to just drift off. Yeah, that's a good note. I'm going to make a note of that. Okay, continuing. According to, uh, we're up to, produce about 80% of the world's almonds. In addition, almonds have a short pollination window of about two to three weeks. Colder temperatures can prevent bees from uh, performing at their best during that time. After bees are given the superfood, the team selects and monitors a group of flowers on a branch uh, for, four, for, for five minutes and counts the number of bee visits you know, that they go to the flowers. This exercise is repeated at various locations on a farm. The company doesn't have an automated way to measure the bees' performance yet, so they're they're eyeballing it. They're just checking it out and and, and you know and um, writing it down. I imagine there'll be some sort of AI element here with computers and stuff. They'll figure that out. But right now, good old-fashioned people writing things down. And the formula also conditioned bees to pollinate a specific target crops that they weren't necessarily attracted to. Results from the almond trial are still being analysed, but Beeflow said that it's seen a success in Argentina by increasing crop yields for almonds, blueberries, apples and kiwis by up to 90%. The company also made um, the size of blueberries at the farm in Oregon last winter increase by 22%. We are really straying into that uh, statistics episode right now, aren't we? It's a taste. It's just a taste. Enjoy. In June, uh, the company announced a $3 million investment from venture capital firm um, Orospray Ag Science. It plans to use the fund to build an office in Los Angeles and grow the team in the United States. Actually, if you want to do it in Melbourne, let me know. I know a lot of people in the country that would love this. One of the cool things I love on, on you know vineyard crops, just, sorry, complete another side story. This has got nothing to do with this. Well, it's got to do with pollination. One of the things I love when I, I drive along uh, you know, the country roads back where I was from, and it was one of those wonderful things that you would, you know, the sunset or the sun in the morning where everything is just amber and beautiful and peaceful. And you would see the, you know, the crops that are, that are the, the vineyards, they're, they're growing there. But on the end of every vineyard would be, you know, this... Uh, rose bush, I think it's rose bush. Apologies to rose experts right now that are, you know, fuming that I'm not getting it right. But it's you know, just they have roses there, and they're, well, they're designed to, essentially, really attract them bees. Hey, come check out these awesome, fantastic roses that are growing here. And look, while you're here, why don't you just go down to the other, you know, the vineyards area there and just pollinate those, those flowers as well. I mean, you're here, you're, you're, you're enjoying these roses so you know why not you're close just have a good time yeah i'd love that okay so they wrap that by saying along um although this is a long journey we are starting and we think that this can be add a lot of value to the agriculture industry super bees that's actually pretty cool yeah making sure that something's a little you know they've got their go juice for the morning and they're off and they're, they're basically working faster, better. Um, and as bee populations decline, uh, then with the bees, you know, working harder and faster has to be a good thing. 
So that's bees. Speaking of bees, let's now talk about the New Zealand police. Um, they're doing something pretty cool. Um, they're giving out free children's car seats instead of tickets uh, handed out at the Auckland police checkpoints. A West Auckland social enterprise has teamed up with Plunkett, uh, the police um, and Auckland Transport, to hand out free car seats at a police checkpoint. The checkpoint was set up um, this morning to assess how well children under seven are being strapped in. Seven Sharp joined uh, the team who handed out rubber duckies and a brand new booster seats instead of tickets for those whose uh, car seats were not up to scratch. They were provided uh, by the Trusts and West Auckland community-owned social enterprise that was approached by police and uh, Plunkett after seeing the need in the community. I won't do a New Zealand accent here because, yeah, I, I just can't. They just told us stories of the real need and we need, uh, we've seen that today with the people who have been turning up, says Chief Executive of the Trusts, Simon Wickham. Mr. Wickham says there's no cap on the number of seats that might be needed for the community. Look, if they need more seats, we'll get them more seats, he says. A number of seats, uh, seats which were in poor condition or even broken were replaced at this morning's checkpoint. How cool's that? I like that. Uh, for whatever reason, if someone can't you know, afford or, or in that you know, honesty of a parent thinking they're doing the best, but finding out after an expert, you know, checking it out that the car seat's either too old, that, you know, safety standards change and stuff like that, or not fitted properly. It's actually pretty nice. And instead of being slung with a, you know, a fine, and then having to obviously go out now, you know, um, what sort of uh, car seats are required, then you just get one. That's pretty cool. Speaking of car seats, Let's talk about humpback whales, because I have some really, really awesome news uh, in regards to humpback whales. And you know what? I really, really hope that there's, even if it's just one person listening to this right now, who's like, oh, yeah, I love humpback whales. Are you kidding me? They're awesome. Their songs are enchanting, and they are absolutely and utterly, utterly awesome. Well, I'm talking to you. Actually, I'm talking to everyone, but, you know, if, if you really love humpback whales, well, then you and I are going to get along fine. I've always wondered what it'd be like, you know, to swim next to them, one of those peaceful creatures. Oh, side story. I was in Harvey Bay, uh, Queensland. So Harvey Bay, uh, Queensland, recently uh, has been given this accredited National Marine Park status. However, if you're ever thinking about coming to Australia... During winter, which is the American uh, Northern Hemisphere summer, um, go to Harvey Bay because they have a wonderful uh, whale watching, you know, tourism thing. It's one hundred percent ethical, which is and and when I say that, it's it's like um, they're not going screaming up with the boats, harassing the whales, and all that kind of stuff. One, there's heavy regulations, so they can't, and if they are found to be in breach, then well, you know, massive, massive fines. And so they're in the interest of protecting their own tourism, so they don't want to harass the whales, and the whales will be, well, I'm not going there anymore. It's just full of tourists, and they come on with their cameras, and they're loud. Anyway, I was there, and I went along to this uh, many years ago. Um, 
I imagine it's exactly the same. What's changed, right? There's boats, there's whales. Um, probably Instagram is the big difference. Anyway, so I was on the boat and um, they firstly say, you know, we're going to look for whales and stuff like that. And then we see one and it's one of those things that you don't really know how massive and majestic these animals are until you see one with your own eyes. Simple fact, you're looking at a screen, you know, on your phone and stuff like that, and yeah, you might get a perspective of scale, but you don't really see how wonderful they are when you unless you're in person. So when I finally saw one, and this thing is the length of a bus, yet it moves so gracefully through the water. A lot more gracefully than me, mind you. I can swim, but nothing like this. But they just move so gracefully through the water. Anyway, true story, not making this up. As I, you know, we're on, the, we're on the tourist bus and stuff, and this thing's swimming around doing whatever it's doing. And everyone's sort of like, you know, calling out and stuff like that. But then there was this weird lull where everybody on the boats decided to just stop calling out. I just yell at, hey, hey, it's nice to see you. Thanks for coming. Chuckles all around. Although the chuckles sort of started to fade away because then the whale instantly turned around and then started coming towards the boat. I know it's a coincidence. I know it, it, it is, but man, wouldn't it be cool if I'm just, you know, I just call out to a whale, you know, crisp, like, hey, how you doing? Um, no, no, no friends from, you know, Joey from Friends reference. You don't want to do that to a whale. How you do it? No. They're majestic animals. So this was a wonderfully respectful hey. And then it turned around and it sort of swam towards our boat and then it stopped uh, and it looked up with one of its eyes, because obviously, you know, either side, um, back to the boat. And it was looking around, curious, apparently. They say they're curious, curious at what was going on. So I waved hi uh, to the whale, um, didn't wave back kind of rude now I think about it um, but then then it stayed for I think it was about three four minutes it felt like a lifetime mind you oh and it accidentally knocked the boat and I swear I swear I swear I swear that it felt as though the whale sort of went oops like it shuddered a bit went, oh sorry it it yeah, you can see the body just go, oh, I didn't mean to do that when it, when it sort of touched the boat. And the, it was the front of the boat. It wasn't the back with the, you know, the rotor or anything like that. And so, yes, it touched the boat. And it, and it, it uh, just shuddered you know, in a weird sort of like, oh, sorry. Maybe that's just a universal thing for every single you know, animal. If it bumps into something and doesn't expect to touch it, it'll just be, oh. And then it looked a little, little longer. And then it just went on its way. And it was one of those awesome things I'll never, ever forget, you know, in my life. So, if you're ever coming down to Australia, uh, it's about three hours north of Brisbane. So, you have to fly into Brisbane. You can, you know, Sydney, then then Brisbane from there. And I, I recommend don't get the flight from Brisbane to Harvey Bay. Rent a car. Just you can, you can rent it for a day or two or whatever. Because the drive up is fantastic. It really is. Uh, you've got wonderful, wonderful um, 
near mountain ranges and lush forests and greenery. And it's got this really sort of, how do I describe this? Okay, so you know if it was like a Pixar film, you'd have those wonderful colours and the hills would rolling in that sort of comical way where um, they always describe the hills as you know, wonderfully rolling up and down and up and down and they're not too high and they're not too low and it's not too flat and boring. There's always something you know picturesque going on. That's what the drive's like from Brisbane to Harvey Bay. It's, it's beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. Uh, there's a bunch of cool little things along the way you can check out. Uh, I've done it a number of times. Uh, my father lived up there, so I'd, I'd go up there and um, and and spend you know as much time as I could. And it's wonderful. It really is. I think this is inadvertently turning into a tourist advert for Harvey Bay. I'm not being paid by you know Harvey Bay tourism, any tourism. Although if you want to, go ahead. But I'm not. I genuinely love the place. Oh, and um, Fraser Island as well. While we're on this, I might as well just keep going. Okay, so Fraser Island uh, is one of the most wonderful natural uh, phenomena in the world. It really is. Google it, Wikipedia it, check it out. You'll you'll agree with me. But it's about seventy kilometers. Uh, seventy kilometers in miles. What's that? That's about forty-five, forty miles. Mm. Yeah, 45 miles um, long, and it's basically one long sandbar. Now, that doesn't sound very interesting. Okay, it's a sandbar. But because it was, it's been a sandbar so, you know, so large for so long, it's about 70 kilometers long and about 30 you know, kilometers wide. And uh, it's one of those things that over millions and millions of years, vegetation has built up, and it has a thriving forest it is always raining on that island every single day it's one of those amazing sort of you know phenomena every single day it's it's raining and the air is beautiful but but the the, the environment is just pristine it really is so you can go on these two you know, buses and stuff like that oh here's a tip if you're feeling adventurous um, it's one of those tips where it's adventurous or not adventurous. If you're feeling adventurous and you're on the buses and you're they're going around the various spots, sit on the back seat. It will basically feel like a rodeo, because well, yeah, they're they're they're, they're um, you know, it's just white sand. That's all it is. So there's a lot of up and down and up and down and up and down. And if you're on the back seat, then hold on because it feels like a rodeo. Now, if you don't like that, then sit in the middle because it'll be a gentle rocking. And that is the science portion of this episode, because that's called leverage. And I know that because I got, I think, a C in science. Mm. That's two more than than F. Three more. F, E, D. You know what? F's the fail. So E and D is uh, is, is the other grades. But I got a C. Uh-huh. Leverage. I kind of know a little bit about it. Where was I? Right, yeah, so one of the most majestic things with Harvey Bay and the Fraser Island is, as I said, it rains every day. Um, and uh, the rain goes through various creeks. I have never, ever seen a clearer and more beautiful uh, river or creek um, in my entire life. 
there's creeks there that when you look at them from like about 10 feet above, they look dry, but they're not. The water is so clean, you can't actually see the water until you get closer and you then start to see, you know, refraction of light and stuff like that. It's pristine. It is absolutely and utterly pristine. And if you ever want to get away from any sort of polluted part, even if it's just a little, uh, wherever you are in the world, go there. It's amazing. It's absolutely and utterly amazing. So that's Fraser Island. Day trips, all that kind of stuff. Um, Part of Harvey Bay. Oh, and there's a good Irish pub in Harvey Bay. Seamus O'Tall's, I think it is. You just Google it. It's fine. Great Irish pub. Um, And a good bangers and mash that they serve there. And of course, you know, Guinness and Kilkenny. I'm not a Guinness fan. I wish I liked Guinness. It's such a manly drink. I love Kilkenny. What is Kilkenny? I'm glad you asked. Uh, Kilkenny, let's just say that a glass of Guinness and a glass of beer fell in love. And they then decided, well, I want to have a child. The child would be Kilkenny. It's not quite Guinness and it's not quite beer. It's sort of in the middle. Very smooth. Very tasty. And if you consume a lot of it, um, you will become an outstanding singer, amazingly attractive, and one hell of a dancer. Mm. Science. Sea level. Exactly. I've completely lost my train of thought. I could go back and... Oh, yes, I've got it back now. Okay, so we talked about Fraser Island um, and, and that, but we're actually talking about whales, uh, not the place in England, but the animal. Uh, let me find this. But okay, so after being pushed to close to extinction, uh, the humpback whale population is making a comeback. The western uh, South Atlantic humpbacks were reduced to a few hundred in the 1950s. But um, after once totaling about 27,000. But efforts to preserve the animals have uh, been rewarded, with numbers now estimating to stand to 25,000. Okay, that's actually some interesting stats. So there were like a couple of hundred in the 50s, because, you know, 50s. And after uh, once totaling of about 27,000, and now they're back up to 25,000 strong. That's just awesome. And 93% of their pre-exploited levels, a study published by the Royal Society, reveals. One of the study's authors, Dr. Alex Zubini, said it demonstrated the successful impact of the conservation efforts. If you manage animals' uh, populations properly, animals can thrive, as shown here. The wider humpback whale species was devastated by whaling, you know, in the 1700s and 1900s. Uh, we estimated that 300,000 were killed Mm. Uh, the International Whaling Commission and the global body overseeing the conservation of whales recognised several types of humpbacks in the southern hemisphere. Zabini, a senior research biologist on marine mammals for 25 years, distinguished between two key periods in whaling. He defined them as pre-modern and modern. Didn't really spend a lot of time thinking about that, just going to put that out there. You know... We quickly, I've got to fill it, finish this presentation. What sort of periods are we going to call that? Um, oh, God, okay. All right, 
the old one's pre-modern and the new one's modern. Just go with it. It's not great, but, you know, I've got to get this thing finished. We've all been there. Not going to judge. Pre-modern whaling uh, was more um, rudimentary in nature, with hunters jumping in boats and chasing after whales with their handheld harpoons, um, as seen in the episode uh, on Futurama, where they go to the moon, and you see the historically hyper-accurate uh, depiction of, of past man, where they say, we are whalers on the moon. It, it, that that's accurate. So um, if you want sort of archival reference to what happened in the time, watch Futurama. Um, and once you watch that episode, just keep going because it's one of the greatest animation series of all time. So there's a pro tip. Whaling practices from late 18, uh, involved more advanced practices, including steam-powered vessels and the use of explosive harpoons. So, the Western South, South Atlantic humpbacks, on which the study uh, focuses, migrate towards the summer feeding grounds in the South Atlantic. They spend four to five months of the year breeding in warm waters uh, and more tropical conditions, and then move south to feed and devour on krill for two to three months of a year. The study also looks at how the revival of the South Atlantic humpbacks may affect the wider ecosystem. The whales are increasingly searching for more krill, so they are competing with species of penguins and seals around the island of South Georgia. It says more data is needed to understand you know, the impact. Zabini said the findings showed that it was positive to bring uh, several depleted populations back from the brink. This is good news. Now, conservation efforts have had a positive impact, and if you protect animals, it shows that the numbers will grow. I love that. I really do. They're coming back from the brink. Uh, there's there's 25-odd thousand, which is a great number for a concert, let's be honest. Uh, you want about 25,000 onwards. Anything less, um, and it's just frankly embarrassing. So 25,000 uh, whales. You could just do a great whaling concert. Um, whale singing concert. Let me just get that right. Whale singing concert. And I'm sure it would get great reviews. Speaking of whales, not the country, let's talk about, you know, crossing guards, because this is actually a really, this is one of those cool stories that really just shows that the world is full of just wonderful, awesome people that are kind uh, and, and want to have a laugh and have friends and fall in love and, and live a happy life, right? I really do believe that 99.999% of the world is just full of this. And they go about it in different ways. Uh, you know, with different religions and different customs and different practices and different food and all that kind of stuff. But uh, when you boil it down and just get down to it, then be happy, laugh, good friends, fall in love, have kids, have grandkids, make good food, eat good food, celebrate, um, you know, do some hobbies and live a great life. Travel and adventure and stuff like that. Well... This is one of those examples. So I enter this so into evidence uh, for the case for the affirmative. More than 100 people uh, showed up to celebrate a crossing guard's birthday. Alec Childers, Childress said, he's a crossing guard, I received something uh, on that corner you can't buy. Alec Childress said. When a crossing guard arrived at his corner last Thursday, 
Some sort of commotion was happening. A commotion. At first he thought it was an event put on by the school, but then quickly realised that it was for him. More than a hundred people showed up to celebrate Alec Childress's 80th birthday and thanked him for, a, um, for being a positive person in their lives. Kids and parents from Wilmette, Illinois, threw a surprise party to thank him for his kindness and work. Children who had moved on to middle school and high school came back to tell him happy birthday. One girl even came up by her way from London uh, for, for college because she wanted to give children a hug before she left. Sorry, one girl came by on her way to London. She didn't come from London. On her way to London uh, for college because she wanted to give children a hug before she left. It's not like I'm a professor or a teacher or anything, Childress told CNN on Monday. I'm just a crossing guard. You know what? I'm going to remove that word just. You're not just a crossing guard. You're a crossing guard. And, and essential, one for safety. And as you'll find here, it's one of those great examples of one person doing something really cool to you in the morning that can just set your day You've all been there, right? You know, you have a, have a wonderful, wonderful exchange with someone in the morning. It could be the coffee guy. It could be whatever. Um, it could be a really cute guy and or girl, you know, who just gives you that smile. And it lifts your spirits and it sets the whole thing. It's like an emotional latte. And you're feeling great. And then you've just got an extra spring in your step and you're ready to head to work and just, yeah, kick ass. Anyway, sorry, um, back to this. So I'm removing that just. I'm a crossing guard. For them, I go out like they uh, did put a huge party for me. It was mind-blowing. It was something uh, that was hard to explain. So every morning and afternoon, Childress, uh, Childress greets people and parents with positivity. He always says, Peace, I gotcha, to everyone who walks by. On Thursday, uh, more than 100 uh, yard signs read, Peace, we gotcha. Many kids shouted surprise, and there were cookies and gifts. I love a good cookie, don't you? And or biscuit. Don't want to discount that. They're fantastic as well. I think the difference between a cookie and a biscuit is this. A cookie will start off crisp, and then over time will become soggy. A biscuit starts off soggy. No, other way around. A cookie will start off soggy, and then you leave it out in the open. It'll become you know, crisp and brittle. That's a cookie. A biscuit is in fact something that starts off crisp and brittle, and over time it will become soggy. I know, right? You ever have one of those moments where you feel as though the universe has just been opened up to you and you're just, whoa, no way. Yeah, yeah, way. Yep, that's true. Well, at least I hope it's true. Um, I'm not going to stop the recording to go and check. I'm just going to, you know what, if I'm wrong, then it's just between us, just between friends, and um, we can accept that I'm human and fallible and we can move on. If I'm right, well then, yeah, I'm right and I am a boss when it comes to cookies and biscuits. The kids of Wilmot, Illinois, appreciate Alec Childress. Kay McBreety, one of the party organisers, said Childress has been a remarkable person in the lives of many people. He's always willing to share his experiences with others. 
Childers grew up uh, on a Mississippi cotton farm, and when he was 14, his fathers left the farm to find work up north, leaving Childers to take care of the farm, the animals, and the family. As the great-grandson of a slave, he said his life taught him about responsibility and having a good attitude early on. Amen. When his family moved north, they didn't have enough money to send Childress to school. He started washing dishes early in the morning and found a way to pay for his schooling. Respect. Damn, respect. In 1969, he got a job working in construction. When he retired in 2005, he stayed retired for only 28 days before coming a crossing guard. I receive something on that corner that you can't buy, he said. The love that I receive in that corner, you just can't buy it. Through Childress's life, I really hope I'm saying that correctly, Childress, yeah, C-H-I-L-D-R-E-S-S, Childress, yeah. Um, he said uh, he never experienced that kind of love uh, he did on his milestone birthday. He said the neighbours had nothing to gain from throwing him a party, but they showed him love anyway, he said. For me, to be able to experience that kind of love tells me we have more good in the world than bad. Yes, I agree. Sorry, sorry, it's late. I shouldn't be, you know, um, you're probably asleep by now. Sorry. Yes, I agree. He said, it reaffirms my knowledge in the belief in people. It really does. Wow, that's just an, an awesome story. Uh, yeah, um, we have, we have, uh, the, we're crossing guards in Australia. We call them uh, lollipop ladies and men because they hold the sign with the round thing and one thing stuck. It's not disrespectful at all. Um, they're absolutely and utterly essential and every single day they're making sure that, that, uh, that that they're making sure that the children uh, were um you know make, crossing the road safely, absolutely and utterly essential. There was one guy like like Childress, who you've got the people that do the job and it's all fantastic, but the other ones that just really, really bring the uh, the positivity and the and the, the theatre. And this guy was a bikey. It was so cool. He would arrive in the morning. Um, have his immaculate, immaculate Harley Davidson. I, I don't know the type. It was big. And it was this grey tan colour, which was very interesting. Anyway, um this was not when I was when I was, you know, uh crossing the road when I was going to school. Um you know, when I went to school and I was in the town of Baruga, I actually walked half a kilometre to school. By the time I'm a grandparent it'll be ten kilometres, of course, as is it right and proper? Uphill both ways. In theory, you could do that. Okay, let me explain. Sorry, side side story. So when I walked from my house um, in College Street, uh, sixteen College Street, actually, you can go ahead and check it out on uh, you know Google Street View. It's there, white um, white wooden house. It's got an orange tree at the front with the best oranges in the world. Do you know how many times I've actually thought? of, this is not nice, but I actually thought like in the dead of night, I would just go there and just grab an orange, you know, for memory's sake, they're massive, um, especially at the top, this is the best part of the tree, anyway, I've never done that, and I never will, and if I ever wanted the oranges, I'd knock on the door with a six pack of beer, and you know, do it right, and exchange that, mental note, I should do that, anyway, so, 
I would leave the house and I would walk along uh, this sort of, I'd follow the creek and, and, and the roads then. And they were dirt roads back in, back in those days. And I'd walk up to the school and there I was, the school. Now, that was technically uphill. Um, I think it's one of those technicalities that if you've got like a laser level of out and you, you know, just level, you got the, that, that laser thing when, yeah, technically you, it is an inclination. So therefore, I think the word hill is a bit of a stretch, but it's an inclination. And now if you exit out of the, I'm going to say the north side of the school, doesn't matter, uh, north side of the school and walk around to not go the back the same road, you would actually go down a hill and then you would actually have to walk up to get home. So thus, in theory, I actually walked uphill to and from school. Yeah, and did I tell you that it was 10 kilometers? It was 15, if I, if I remember correctly. Um, um, and of course, you know, with the expansion, um, and this is again, sea level science, the expansion uh, that occurs when things heat up, you know, that's a, it's a common thing that when, when things are colder, they're smaller. And when things expand, they're hotter. That's why you've got those little grooves in in the uh, you know, the bridges. Well, in summer, then clearly through expansion, because everything's a little hotter, then you've got to add at least two more kilometers to it. Sea level science, people. That's the kind of stuff you produce. Yep. So, anyway... Again, I completely and utterly lost my train of thought. I'm just going to hit pause and then just collect myself. Be right back. Okay, back. Got it. Yeah, I'm trying to thought. So, um, that was a bit about my school, and we didn't need lollipop people or crossing guards because one, I think, you know, it's a thousand people, so there's not a lot of traffic that's going on. Uh, two, there were no traffic lights uh, in the town at all. There was actually an article in the newspaper where the town next to Baruga called Cobram uh, received its first traffic lights. Yeah, that's right. And it wasn't because of an intersection. It was just one of those ones where you press, you know, the button and you wait a bit. And and then eventually um, the red light would come on and all the confused people would be like, what the hell is this thing? And eventually we figured it out that you stop. Um, but in Baruga there were none and there were no lollipop ladies or men and there were no traffic guards or anything like that. But, you know, in Melbourne when, and all the other, other cities and stuff like that, absolutely they do. And this one guy, this bikey guy, he would just bring the theatre. His, his, his beautiful Harley Davidson was there. Um, he, he had the leather vest as well, like the leather vest. I don't know what biking gang it was because I couldn't tell. Because, well, in, in Australia, and I'm pretty sure everywhere else in the world as well, you've got the high visibility vests, you know, the oranges and the yellows and stuff like that. And in winter, they're not just vests, they're full uh, coats. We get these wonderful sort of, you know, weatherproof coats because it's, you know, raining and cold and stuff like that. Um, but he would wear the vis, the high vis over that. So you've got like the bikey thing, but yeah, he's wearing the high vis and he's greeting people saying, good morning, and steady how you go. And there is sure something about a bikey holding up one of those lollipop things that says, you know what, when I'm holding this thing, you're going to stop and these kids are going to cross safely. So yeah, it was it was one of those things I, I, I drove past, um, you know, work every morning and saw that and it was just a... Those cool little highlights of the day that he was taking out his moment to make sure that kids got to school to and from on time. So that was the the cool stuff that I sort of picked out about happening in the world. There's a lot of other cool stuff, um, but I thought I'd you know just grab some and uh, 
and go from there. Now, I'm going to finish by giving you a couple of recipes because I need to pass these on. And um, this is my way of doing it, is entering these into the official archive uh, for that. Sorry, I just closed my iPad and Siri decided to pop up. Um, yeah, so, okay, so the first one is going to be an absolute accident, and it's going to involve something, uh, an ingredient that you might turn your nose at, but I would suggest you actually give this a shot. This this one came about when I was, you know when you got that, that um, need or want for food? You don't feel like ordering takeout, um, and yet you don't feel like going to the shops or the supermarket to buy the food. You, you ever been there in that you know that conundrum? Uh, it's those times you wish you were royalty or a sultan, and you could just go, you know, clap your hands, and a servant would go ahead and do it. We've all been there. I'm not going to judge. Um, we don't though. Um, we don't. So you either have to, uh, and this was winter as well, so it was cold, um, and so you either have to put the big boy pants on and go and 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 uh, go to the supermarket, or do what I did and just look at everything that you potentially got in your cupboard and your fridge, being surprised of the various meats that are sitting in the freezer that you completely forgot about, and thaw something and cook something and let's just see what happens. So this is what I grabbed. Firstly, I found some wonderful uh, apple cider infused, which sounds strange, uh, pork sausages. Tick. Uh, they were really, really lovely. Um, I don't like fennel. In the pork sausages, that's just me. Um, apple cider, so I got that. That's really cool. The second one is I found in my um, my cupboard about four tins of baked beans. This is the bit we're like, oh no, baked beans. Bear with me. It's not just that, okay? But it's like it's like the the base where all the magic happens. Um, I, and I don't know when I when I found four and it was like not in one space, it was all scattered around the other pantry. My pantry's not that very well organized. I'm just gonna put that out there. Um it's not. It's it's everywhere. There's a lot of stuff. It starts out organized, um, and then I don't know what happens. I'm not willing to accept responsibility, um, even though it's just me. But um, something happened and it's a mess. So consequently, things get forgotten in certain parts of the pantry cupboard thing. So rifling around, I found one, then I found two, then I found three, then I found four, and found four, you know, baked beans, pulled those out. Okay, we've got something. It's not that exciting. Um, then I found some, some breadcrumbs, uh, and then I, I then went to the big spices rack. So this is what you're going to want to do. Um, I call this rustic cooking, and it's also uh, one of those things that sort of exists in an entire just one pot, so it's great. Okay, so first things first, uh, you could have you could exchange this for chicken or beef or whatever like that, or for vegetarian, um, it absolutely could be by itself or with tofu, or I've always wanted to um, uh, sort of try and figure out sort of like a, a crunchy, cheesy sort of breadcrumby ball thing. I'll figure that out, I'll let you know. But anyway, this is this is my recipe, but yeah, go ahead and, and, and change it as, as much as you want. Start with sausages, chop those suckers up raw, because you want them in sort of like a, a not perfect sort of, you know, slice. You want to have them in chunky bits. This is a chunky meal. So, do that, cut those up, um, and then fry those, and fry them olive oil, put them in, again, cobram olive oil, they're not paying me, I wish they would, um, cobram olive oil is the, is the one that I, I, I choose, and you fry those up, and, and then get like a wooden spoon, flat-faced wooden spoon, um, and then just start bashing it, just break it up, 
you know, just bang, 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 break it up, break it up, break it up, um, and then keep cooking it and get some really cool sort of charry bits going on in the sizzling. So, you know, if someone's watching, you can just flip it over like you've, you're a pro. I've actually got to the point where I can do that too. It looks great. It's completely useless because you can just use a spoon anyway. But, um, yeah, so, so you do that and you just sort of smash it up uh, there so it's all broken up and it's all cool and you flip it. And then when that's nice and charred, um, I usually get some sort of um, you know, spice and seasoning if you want to throw it in, a bit of pepper, uh, just a little sprinkle of salt, stuff like that. Um, then you're going to go ahead and you're going to pour in uh, the baked beans over that. So so pour them all in and that's all fine and then, then recycle the tins. And uh, from there, uh, what you want to do is uh, just stir it around and then you're going to get some paprika uh, and you're going to just you know, sprinkle that in. How would I describe the measurement? Probably a, two teaspoons. It's one of those things like pepper that people tend to do. But that start with about two teaspoons and go from there. Um, and oh, and the other one is uh, okay. So you know sriracha sauce. If you don't know sriracha sauce, then another sort of element in your world's about to explode. It's amazing stuff. Um, now I've discovered that you know Tabasco sauce right, how awesome Tabasco sauce is, Tabasco make a version of sriracha sauce. I'm just going to let that sink in for a second in absolute and utter silence. Here we go. I'm still being silent. Okay, Tabasco related sriracha sauce. I know. It's just like sriracha sauce with a, with a zest that you love. So what you're going to want to do is you're going to just, just do a healthy sort of like squirt, you know, into that um, and then stir it around as well. That's going great. Then what you're going to want to do is get some frozen peas um, and you're going to get some frozen peas or, you know, normal peas, but it, we've all got frozen peas in the fridge. It's one of those never ending supplies. Also works with beans uh, and broccoli. So just chuck stuff in, um, chuck it in. Bring that thing to a boil, stir it around, um, and let it simmer. And what's going to happen is that the fat from the the from the, the 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 pork, you know, the gritty bits that you've made from the charring will just really just um, add to the flavour, and it's just wonderful. You got the paprika; it's also wonderful. Um, and then you, you let that sit there, and you, you you simmer for about you know five ten minutes. It's nothing nothing big. And then what you're going to want to do? Remember how I mentioned at the start the breadcrumbs. Well, you're going to want to uh, sprinkle the breadcrumbs um, over the top and stir those in. Do that a couple of times. Just a light sprinkling on top and stir that in. That's going to thicken it up. But I also find that it makes it just brings out the flavor. It just extracts the flavor and makes it more, more um, precedent. If you want to get really fancy, you can add a dash of sort of red wine vinegar or a hint of a lemon juice. I would save that for when you someone's watching and they're like, what the hell's this? And you just go, ooh, red wine vinegar, because it just looks great when you add things like that. Just a, just a dash, though. And um, stir that. Now, to bring it all together for a great winter meal, you're going to want to get one of those you know, lovely bread rolls. I know carbs, but just enjoy this for once. It's winter. You've got to burn you know, calories to survive. So um, the, the bread, and you cut those really thick you know, slices of toast. 
And uh, there's two ways to cook that. Um, my favorite way, uh, new kind of way, I've got one of those, you know, the sandwich presses. Uh, turn that on, put butter on the sandwich press, like, shh, I actually um, watched this, uh, the movie Chef. Check it out. It's like an adaptation of the whole cheesy melt thing. Um, and then you put the bread on there and you sort of flip it over two times. So you've got this cool, crunchy, um, you know, bready uh, taste. And it's also toasted. And the cool thing with that, you know, baked bean thing is you can just let that sit. It's fine. It's not going to go bad. It's just a good pot of stuff. And then put that in a bowl or a plate if that's the way you go uh, and have the toast. And it is an outstanding meal. And it, it completely and utterly started from me uh, just grabbing a bunch of stuff and deciding to, you know, cook that. And as you can see, it's clearly stuff that's just lying around in the, in the, in the, the pantry and the fridge and the freezer and, and things like that. And I now will buy ingredients to make that meal. Um, yeah, it's awesome for just that hearty winter meal. And then, oh, and, and I, the secret sauces, I completely and utterly forgot. I'm so sorry is you make a big pot. You can even double, triple, you know, the amount, but you make a big pot and then you put it in the fridge. And then the next day, oh, let me tell you, you bring that out. You put that in the bowl or plate, if that's the way you roll. Um, microwave that, two minutes, stir, two minutes again. And something happens overnight. Angels come from the heavens and sprinkle it with flavor dust. Because what was great the first night, for some reason, is just even better the second day. That is true for this and curries and pastas and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's very, very, very good. So I would wholeheartedly recommend that one there. So that's one of my, my all-time go-to recipes that I absolutely and utterly love. Um, and the other one is is one that was actually, I didn't think of it, but I need to sort of tell you this because it sounds like something on paper that it wouldn't work, but trust me, it does. Uh, it's salmon and couscous with pasta sauce. I know. I know, it sounds like it doesn't work. I was very skeptical at the first time as well, but you got to trust me, this is brilliant. And again, it's one of those ones where it's like 10 minutes and you're done. Um, and if you get some of those, uh, you know, frozen salmon pieces, they're perfectly fine. Um, and you can have those have those in the uh, in you know, the, the freezer and you've got a, just a jar of pasta sauce. Uh, you don't need a lot, so you can have, you know, like half of it left. Um, or... Uh, and, and of course, you know, couscous is another great thing. Just sitting in the cupboard, just doing its thing. In in my uh, in my cupboard slash pantry, it was on the wrong shelf, in the wrong side, um, and it was sort of facing away, um, yeah, behind some baking soda. Don't know how why it got there, but it did. So so yeah. So what you're going to want to do? This one moves very quickly. So get all your stuff sort of set up. Um, first things first, pour the uh, the pasta sauce into, this is not one of those one pan things, by the way, like before, this is multiple pans. You want to pour this into just like a, 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 you know, a little fry pan or, or, a, or a dish and just start simmering the uh, the pasta sauce. And then, then just you know, let that go. That's cool. Add a dash of water, nothing too much. Uh, should be fine. And then you get your your your, your frying pan, olive olive oil again, cobram olive oil is the best, I believe. Um, and you want to fry the uh, the pieces. If they're big and flat, then you want to chop those up until they're about, I'd say, two fingers, 
two fingers apart and two fingers wide. Uh, if you have very thin fingers, some people do that I know, um, then it's three. But if you don't have um, very thin fingers, then it's two. I don't know how to, if there's some international measurement for the thickness of fingers, but you're just going to have to go with it. And yeah, so, so you want to chop those up and then you're going to cook them very quickly on you know one side, then flip to the second side and the third side and all that kind of stuff. When you've got to about the second side, um, then have some boiling water ready to go too. So I'm terrible at telling this, but you know, just have some boiling water, just ready to rock and roll. Um, and then with couscous or polenta, same thing, um, have a bowl, one cup of couscous um, equals, and then you put one cup of water. That's it. Boiling water, of course. Um, pour that in, put put the lid on top. In this case, I use the plate that I'm going to use because it sort of heats it as well. Um, put that on top and literally set the timer for about three minutes. That's it. Magic happens in those three minutes and it goes from this raw material to ready to go. Um, and you finish the other sides of the salmon so they're nice and crisp but yet sort of tender. Um, and then what you do there is you take the couscous, put that on the plate, make a bed, you know, then get the salmon and put it on top of the couscous. And then the pasta sauce, the thing that we started, you just drizzle that over. Drown it. Chuck it on. Um, and then, that's it. You have yourself an outstanding meal. If you want to get fancy, you can put some veggies on the side. Um, you know, or just parsley flakes if you want to get really fancy. But this is one of those meals where it's like you don't want fancy, you want food, but you want it good and nice and just wonderful in your belly and healthy but very very quick and that is my go-to one um those i've got a few more but you know what i'm just gonna trickle those out um every single time that i sit there and go i really want to do a, a podcast recording but i have no idea what i'm going to talk about uh so i will bring these recipes out you know keep my those sort of ace cards in my hand and drop them down when I when I wanted to, you know, just let you guys know. Besides, you've got a bit of homework now. You actually have to, you know, enjoy those meals. Let me know how, how it goes. Shoot me a message. Um, and, uh, and let me know if it works for you or if you've done sort of some variant of that. <sighs> so that's, that's, that's it um, for this episode. I just wanted to really sort of bring the whole positive vibe back. The action-packed one from the previous Ned Kelly episodes with that. And it got a bit grim at the end, not going to lie. Um, and I really wanted to do some pretty cool stories to let everyone know that you know, the world's a very, very cool place. And it is absolutely and utterly full to the brim of beautiful, wonderful people that just want to live happy lives Enjoy those wonderful moments, fall in love, have some great friends, and enjoy meals like the ones I just said. Um, and, yeah, grow old, you know, and live a full and happy life. Okay. I'm going to wrap this up now. I hope by now that you are asleep, and you're not even hearing the words that I'm saying. And I hope that tomorrow morning someone does something, you know, a little that just sets your day apart. Um, from a perfect stranger or your loved one that just sets you off on that awesome, wonderful mood for the rest of the day and you have yourself one of those fantastic mornings. But until then, you'll have to get a good night's sleep. So, good night, sweet dreams, take care, 
And until next time, goodbye.